Did you know that we're open late all summer? That's right! You can visit the museum until 8pm on Tuesdays between Victoria Day and Thanksgiving. That turns out to be between May 22nd and October 2nd. It's a great opportunity to see some of our new exhibits, visit Lock 3 of the Welland Canal, and partake in some lovely, fun, and family-friendly museum programs like... The Great STC Build a Boat Challenge on July 24th from 6 to 8 p.m. Join in the fun and test your engineering skills. Or come for a relaxing canal-side paint night on August 7th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Unleash that inner artist by using the beautiful Welland Canal as your muse. Canvas and paint included. Come for the end of Summer Bash on August 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. to get a last taste of summer excitement at this family-friendly event filled with games, activities, and fun. Or take a guided walk along the canal this fall with one of our museum historians. Walks include a visit to the Fallen Workers Memorial and run September 4th, 11th, 18th, 25th, and October 2nd at 6.30 p.m. There's so much to do at the museum. Visit our website for program details. See you at the museum. a new podcast series presented by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre and hosted by me, Kathleen Powell, Curator and Supervisor of Historical Services, and Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator here at the museum. Before we get into today's podcast episode, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording today's podcast at the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre, which we acknowledge is part of the traditional territories of the Neutrals, Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe peoples and their allies, and is adjacent to the Six Nations of the Grand River. As museum professionals, our jobs are many-fold. Managers, curators, interpreters, researchers, and much, much more. We found ourselves pining for some interesting and perhaps wild history in our daily work. So, here's how the podcast works. We select a topic... Then we each go away and have one hour to research the topic with the end goal to see how far down the rabbit hole of research we can go. So here we go. Are you ready to head down the rabbit hole and see where one hour in the past has taken us? Let's go. But first, (laughs) another commercial about some of our upcoming programs. There are so many. Remember the old YMCA, YWCA on Queen Street? What about the days at the Market Square before a permanent building was built? Memorable signage and buildings from our city's past are now on display at the museum. People and Places explores some of the people and places that have disappeared from the city's landscape. 
The exhibit has been open for a few weeks now, and we've already heard so many wonderful stories about the objects in the exhibit. It's great to see how people remember different places and experiences in different ways. I just love watching people light up when they see so many things from our city's past. One gentleman even told me about how he had met his wife at the old YMCA, YWCA, and seeing the sign on display brought back so many wonderful memories. Visit People in Places, a new exhibition here at the St. Catharines Museum on display through March 20th, 2019. Let's jump down the rabbit hole and see where our research this uh, time around has taken us. Yep. And uh, just to refresh the memories of everyone who's listening and uh, for us, we have researched soda water for this soda episode. Water. So, pretty excited about <laughs> soda water and uh, um, where things uh, are taking us. Yeah. So, I love starting with a definition every episode. I think it's a good benchmark for us to start from. So, we'll start off with the definition of soda water, Perfect. which is a little bit easier than some of the other... I mean, had and rowing had... Those, it's obvious what these things are, but it's kind of interesting to hear. So it's a noun, of course. Uh, carbonated water, originally made with sodium bicarbonate, drunk alone or with liquor or wine. So synonyms include pop, fizzy drink, soft drink. Uh, a second definition includes that it's sodium carbonate, especially as a natural mineral or as an industrial chemical. Um, so sodium can be in a chemical combination of nitrate of soda. And I guess that's like baking soda kind of thing. The origin of the word is from late Middle English and the and medieval Latin and from Arabic as well, from suad or salt wort. Um, so that sort of makes sense. Salt wort, salt water, water, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, Google also gives you the option to translate it into various languages. And the default on mine for some reason is German. I don't know why. Maybe I was looking for a German translation of something. But the German translation of soda water is... Soda wasser, and that makes sense. There you go. Awesome. There's our definition. Awesome. So let me take a step back and remind our listeners yes. that uh, the premise of this podcast is that you and I each go away from each other independently and have one hour <laughs> to do whatever research we can on a topic and see where it takes us because, you know, researching can take you in all kinds of crazy uh, maze-like places. And then we come back and uh, see where we've gone and where it took us. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Do you want to start with where you ended up or should we talk about why, why we're doing soda water? Sure. I had a harder time this time because I don't know very much about soda water. And also say soda water five times fast. It's really <laughs> tough. Anyway, um, I didn't really know very much. I knew that I at one point I wanted to get to factory owners or manufacturers of soda water and I didn't get there but I really wanted to see if there was some sort of Willy Wonka type soda water company and I, I you know like uh, that just is so famous or uh, has some sort of pop culture following uh, that uh, that was just you know that people wrote books about it or maybe Charles Dickens had a soda water character in one of his books um, so I wanted to get into that kind of thing but I 
one, we have not learned our lesson that one hour is just not enough time to get into it. But some of the things that I did find, I started off with looking at uh, the Victorians, of course. What a surprise. Adrian's looking at the Victorians um, and how soda water and various other remedies were kind of come into this group of weird remedies. And I, I, the two things that I love about the Victorian period is one, the fashion, but two, uh, the Victorians seem to jump in with both feet on the latest fad or craze, uh, yeah, regardless. Like no zero to 100 in, <laughs> it's, you know. It's 100%. <laughs> and uh, regardless of any scientific proof, solution, explanation, and it could, it could actually be scientific or it could be just a hoax, they'll jump in. And medicine is a really good example. I think, too, that where we have the the advantage of seeing that because the Victorian period had so much advertising and it was the beginning of consumerism. So a lot of the, the graphic representation of, uh, of the pop <laughs> culture, get it? <laughs> or the soda culture is uh, really obvious because advertising these... Because <laughs> <laughs> ad- <laughs> uh, there's always a place for a pun, I think. Um <laughs> So advertising all of these remedies was really like explosive and in terms of collecting and stuff in our collection, but also just out there on the web, um, advertisements and uh, claims about the benefits of soda water or or pop as we would know it today. Well, not really as we know it today. We'll talk about ingredients in a second. Um, We're huge and it's sort of more than any other period, perhaps, even though soda water was invented in the mid 1700s by... A guy that I can't yes. you have it. Um, William Brownrigg. Yes, was the first person thought to be the first person to carbonate water in the 1740s. In 1740, although there were several other inventor scientist type people that were working on a similar mm-hmm. process around the same time. Yeah, carbonation isn't new because when beer or yeah. uh, cider ferments, it becomes carbonated, so that's fine. Uh, and uh, sparkling wine or champagne process was invented about 100 years previous to that in the 1600s. So carbonation wasn't new, but carbonated water and infusing water with carbonation yeah. sort of unnaturally was, was new in the 1700s. But it took until, I'd say, 18, maybe Civil War time when they were looking for a lot of specific remedies. And then from there it exploded into you know, uh, advertised, this is good for you stuff. Um, so that's sort of, uh, where I, where I went, uh, unsurprisingly, I didn't want to be so predictable, but that's where I went. So there you go. Um, cause you know, we're going to talk about Coca-Cola in a second and, and I guess that's kind of predictable with regards to, uh, to soda water. But, um, I found this really great, great quote from this one article that I read about, uh, it's the quote is who wouldn't trust a tonic named snake oil. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's just representative of the period that yeah, like they'll sure. take anything that's exotic to solve any of their problems. So uh, cocaine pills were pretty commonplace for toothaches, which seems wild today um, to us anyway. Uh, so the, the and heavily advertised and oh, yeah. welcome in the medical community um, and lots of products that for ailments included cocaine or heroin or opium or a mixture of all of those. Uh, there was a wine that had coconut and uh, cocaine in it, and they nice. called it coca wine, uh, which sounds 
absolutely terrible. But there was an advertisement. Or good, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> In this article, there was an advertisement that the Pope at the time had endorsed this coca wine sure, as not? like totally fine for. It's like what? For What's going on? For yeah. <laughs> so uh, as as soda water increases in popularity through the end of the 19th century. Uh, two main pops kind of ring out as true medical pops or sodas. Right. I call it pop. What do you call it? Um, I call it pop. Pop. Is that an Ontario I feel like thing? it's a Canadian thing because yeah. I feel like the people I know that are uh, from the United States mostly pop. call it soda. soda. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, ginger ale and root beer. Yeah, that makes uh, quite quickly. Total sense. I think because of the ingredients, right? Yeah. So you have like ginger already, ginger is root, medicinal. vanilla, and root beer as well. So it's like already sort of that kind of. So it's an easy sell uh, to um, convince people that they are uh, medical. And um, I found this little long advertisement, which I won't read the whole thing, but it's about root beer. Properties which we guarantee to do all this work are found in Hires Improved Root Beer, a drink which has been on the market now for some years and which was gradually won into popular favor until its fame extended to the remotest parts of the American continent. And it goes on and on. It is unquestionably one of the best blood purifiers in the world, and for kidney disease it has no equal. Why take poisonous and disagreeable drugs when in this delicious drink you have the problem of medicine solved by its imparting strength and pure blood, which soon gives a person clear and healthy complexion? It is recommended and prescribed by some of our best physicians. What? Awesome. <laughs> Could you imagine being, if you have uh, kidney problems or like that sounds like the worst thing. But I wonder if the ingredients back then were different from the ingredients today. So, of course, the sugar content in drinks uh, today. Uh, and there's a, actually, this is, sorry, a huge tangent, but there's a wonderful podcast included in Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History. I think in the first season of that podcast, they go back and they look at the um, ingredients in McDonald's fries. Oh, yeah. And how they made fries in the 80s and how they make fries right. today. And there's this huge thing about the different types of oils and fats yeah. that they use and how fries are actually not that terrible for you back in the day uh, and uh, were tasted better and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and when they changed the oil and the fat, right. it like changed the fries. I'm sure that's similar. I think that probably the original uh, soda flavors, they did have sugar in them originally, but they may not have uh, had as much or um, as much simulated flavor versus yeah. like original root beer would have had, you know, natural ingredients providing that flavoring. I did come across a thing that said uh, plain soda water was called uh, two cents plain at a. I found that too. <laughs> at taverns or inns or wherever you were getting it, and um, the flavored stuff was for a five cents because essentially you were getting a syrup that had sugar and sweetener and or some sort of sweetener and some sort of flavoring to go with it. But uh, um, I thought that was uh, interesting. But I would imagine the sweetener was probably not the same as the sweeteners we're using nowadays or yeah. the flavorings even. Yeah. So it makes me quite. It makes it shows like. Are they telling the truth? Like, would you actually, like, if the ingredients from 1900 were available today, would it be okay to drink if you had kidney problems? Like, 
well, who knows, right? But people still say when you have an upset stomach, you should drink ginger ale. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> me, in, me included, because it does feel better. So Thank there you, very you go. Much. So there is some merit. <laughs> Even to... though I think it's just ginger flight flavoring now. I don't. Do they still put real? I think so. Ginger in? Yeah, yeah? I think okay. so. I'd have to look at it. I yeah, know there's really. more sugar than there used to be. Even when I was a kid, um, there used to be. So. That's really interesting. So the medical and medicinal uh, ingredients were all over the place, but it and it wasn't until 1906 that narcotic, nar- narcotics had to be clearly labeled on right. products. So that's why you see Coke having like clearly like there's there's similar you know early Coke brands yeah. with Coke uh, in it and that in that time period. Um, and Coke wasn't actually totally free of cocaine until 1929. Wow. But even though, like, as soon as that law came in about labeling, they started to get rid of it. For sure. Um, and it wasn't until the mid-19th century, really, that, uh, or sorry, the mid-20th century that the medical profession really got on board with, okay, pop soda is not actually good for health. And that's when it became more of a treat. Right. And that brings us up to today. But there even still some... So in some advertisements from the 50s um, continued. I have an advertisement of 7-Up in front of me from maybe the 40s or 50s. Uh, lithiated lemon soda. Woo! 7-Up. That sounds se- delicious. <laughs> Gross. 7-Up <laughs> settles the stomach for hospital or home use. Interesting. The added uh, citrates? Is that a word? I the, guess so. <laughs> the added citrates neutralize free acid. The sugar is invented, burns clean. 7-Up is more than a mixer. It blends out the harsh features, dispels hangovers, takes the ouch out of the grouch. <laughs> Speaking of the grouch, um, when I was a kid, my mom would not let me drink pop after a certain time of day because the coming down from yeah. the sugar rush, I turned into a monster. And I remember one particular, uh, I used to have piano lessons in, in the city and it was about well, half, half an hour home. And uh, I remember one particular drive home. We would usually stop for a happy meal or something like that. And I was not allowed to have pop because it was like, I don't know, like 6.30 at night or yeah. something like that. I was not allowed to have pop and I really wanted pop. <laughs> <laughs> but no way, no pop after a certain time no. because I just juice, turned in. Juice is what you got. Yeah. You know, it probably had just as much sugar as pop did. Oh, for sure. I'm sure it did. <laughs> like the apple juice probably did. I mean, who knows? But anyway, so that's sort of where it led me. And... Uh, uh, Finally, I found a really cool video of a soda water factory because I wanted to get into seeing if there was maybe a Willy Wonka of soda, yeah. soda water out there. Um, and I found a, a wicked uh, video, a pathé video from the 20s oh, and 30s cool. of soda water being made. And we'll post that in the footnotes of That's the cool. episode to this blog. The commentary is kind of sexist because it's a female worker and he's talking about... You know, she has to wear safety gear, but she's still beautiful. And like <laughs> all this, she's still smiling, even though she has to wear that safety gear. Awesome. And it's kind of interesting, though, because the safety gear was there because the glass, uh, when you're pumping yeah. uh, soda water or carbonate into the yeah the glass, and I'm sure people in the beer and uh, wine industry know this as well that when you pump it into the glass, it has a tendency to break sometimes. So that's why she was wearing this. Right safety gear so if you look beyond the terrible commentary from the 30s <laughs> it's actually probably from the from the 50s uh you know you can uh, you can see it i have another coke ad here that we'll post on the blog as well uh it, it's a coke ad uh that says with a very nice victorian lady the ideal brain tonic tonic delightful summer and winter beverage relieves mental and physical exhaustion 
That's how I feel when I'm drinking. <laughs> Specific for a headache. It's probably the lack of caffeine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. So that's sort of where I ended up in that in that range of uh, the 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 difference between yeah. uh, products today and products uh, back then. I think we should stop now for a little bit of a commercial break. Another commercial. Yup! <laughs> the museum's annual Guided Spirit Walks return this September with what promises to be an emotional walk through Victoria Lawn Cemetery. Audiences will witness the dramatic impact four years of war had on the residents of St. Catharines in 1918 with an engaging historical and theatrical guided walk. I'm really excited about this year's tour because after a few years behind the scenes, I actually get to put on a costume and participate this year as an actor. Uh, so that's one of the reasons to attend our annual walks. Wink, wink. That's great. And we are excited to welcome a whole bunch of new volunteer actors to the walk this year, along with some of the seven-year veterans who are returning. Seven years. Wow. That's awesome. And we'll be looking at some new historical people, too. One I'm looking forward to hearing from is Eliza Fitzgerald, who was a high school principal before and during the war and would have known some of the boys who went off to fight in Europe. The annual Guided Spirit Walks run September 7th and 8th, 14th and 15th at 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. at the beautiful and historic Victoria Lawn Cemetery. Pre-registration is required to attend the walks through Victoria Lawn Cemetery, so don't delay. Book early to avoid disappointment. Tickets are $11 each and available for purchase here at the museum, online, or by calling us at 905-984-8880, beginning August 1st. So we're going to talk about my half of the uh, Absolutely. the research. So the reason why we're actually talking about soda water today has to do with uh, this little bottle that we had in, um, in our exhibit called uh, Lost and Found, which is about things hidden in walls in buildings in the city. We didn't have a whole lot of things in our collection that were things squirreled away in walls, but one of the objects that we found was a bottle and on the side of the bottle, it says B. Diffin, and it's a soda water bottle, which I thought was really interesting. I didn't know what that meant. It actually has a glass cork that has fallen inside the bottle, which makes it even more interesting. Uh, and it turns out that B. Diffin, who we're not completely sure who he was, but was likely a local innkeeper. Maybe and, uh, he's he, the Willy Wonka. Potentially. We expect that he actually bottled soda himself independently at his establishment, but sold it to the public. So you could actually order bottles with your name on it. Uh, the ones that he had came from the States uh, because they were patented by an American company. And uh, he could order those bottles and then bottle the soda water in his establishment and sell it to the local public. Uh, in St. Catharines, there were actually si at least... At the time, between 1870 and 1895, there were at least six soda manufacturing companies in the city. Six? Yeah, it's crazy. Holy moly. Yeah. Wow. So this little bottle, which uh, our viewers, our listeners, who want to come and see us at the museum, uh, can see on display in the lobby, was found in the walls of the Meriton Town Hall. 
Uh, we're not really sure why it was put in the wall of the Meriton Town Hall. Maybe when they were building the building or there was a workman working in the building, he was having some soda with his lunch and decided to leave the bottle in the... He didn't want to throw it away and decided to leave the, wa- the bottle inside the wall um, to hide it. That's so, awesome. Uh, so there's two parts of it that are super interesting. One is the glass stopper. Um, I could go there. The glass stopper on the inside was very, a patented type of thing. Most early soda bottles had stoppers that fell into the bottle when you drank out of it uh, because the way the stopper was designed was to keep the pressure from the carbonation inside the bottle. And so as you fill the bottle, the, the stopper rises to the top and then it, oh, it holds the pressure in. I understand. That was before the days of... Uh, Bottle um, yeah. yeah. And so the, the thing about carbonated water is that the it's not just uh, carbon dioxide in the water, it's carbon dioxide dissolved in the water. Right. And so that the pressure behind that... The only way you get the carbon dioxide to come out, essentially, is to let the pressure off. So you know when you open a can and it goes, that's what's putting the carbonation into it, essentially. That's how you're getting the fizzy bubbles. Oh, I see. And so these uh, quarks were designed to keep the pressure inside. And then so when you went to, I think you must have had to push the cork in to start drinking it. And then it would allow the pressure to release, but they'd fall to the inside. So this one has like this long skinny glass cork with a little rubber gasket around it. Um, and the cork was patented by a guy named John Matthews, who was from New York City. He was a pioneer in the American development of soda fountains. And he patented this particular glass cork as a really great way to keep the fizz in your soda water. Um, and then, like I said, you could uh, um, order the bottles through the mail. You could also actually order his soda fountains it, through the mail if you were a tavern keeper or an innkeeper. Yeah. And, uh, and then the, um, the rubber gasket was a later addition. I actually saw one of these soda bottles that had a marble kind of thing inside of it instead. And the marble would go up to the top and hold the pressure in, and then it would fall to the bottom. There's a bunch of different kinds like this. If you ever see a glass bottle that has a glass cork inside... It's probably a soda bottle, um, but the gasket, the rubber gasket, was added uh, later on as a way to stop keep bacteria from getting into the product and spoiling it. Wow. So I guess if there was a flavoring or something to it, it would right. spoil, yeah. uh, just like anything else on the shelf. Um, or one of those interesting drug ingredients, you know? Right. I don't exactly. know. Do drugs go? Do those ingredients go bad? Like does heroin go bad you know i don't (laughs) know the answer to that question (laughs) but in a as an ingredient in a soda like i have no idea yeah i don't know um so anyway that's interesting i wonder if there's because like pop today doesn't really it does expire but it doesn't really yeah it doesn't go moldy or anything like that unless you leave it although if you leave it open it will go moldy that's true true um well that's interesting just to add to that one and you're talking about there's six six manufacturers at least, right? Or maybe people are doing their own too. I, I was looking on in our collection as well and I found a couple of uh, other manufacturer names and I thought I'd share the names. Uh, my favorite one is Thomas Toon and Son and they were <laughs> operating in 1884. And I like that one because there's uh, a famous actor named Tommy Toon. So he's not that old. So unfortunately, <laughs> I'm just thinking like, oh, it'd be so great if he also made uh, soda water. Uh, there was a St. Kitts Soda Company. Nice. Um, so there's a bottle with St. Kitts, and that's also from the uh, the late 1800s. 
Um, and then a really cool one was uh, Moran Beverly Beverages, and they made uh, soda water and soda beverages up until 1960, so it might be familiar to some people uh, in and around the city. Um, their most famous brand was Evangeline Soda Water, and the back of the bottle says, a, finest, a finer quality wholesome beverage for home and party. Nice. Moran Beverages, St. Catharines, Ontario, contents 10 fluid ounces. So we'll post some of those pictures on the footnotes to this uh, episode as well. And then I also saw that the uh, a couple of uh, locations, and I, d- I don't want to steal thunder here, but uh, there was a, speaking of the fountain, um, the Welland House Pharmacy, or uh, Welland House, yeah, Welland House Pharmacy got a, had a soda bar. Yeah. Um, and uh, they got a new one in 1938, and it was covered by the standard. And uh, soda, soda fountains, are actually, in my earlier research, uh, soda fountains were really popular in pharmacies at first because yeah, the pharmacists could actually know how to mix them with the syrups and the drugs yeah. and all that stuff. So That was where um, I, I got that same information. Right. That soda was The reason why soda was thought to cure diseases had something to, part of it to do with the fact that pharmacists were, were dispensing it. Right. Um, because they were able to mix medicines and they would dispense medicines. it across the... Uh, well, because a lot of the early pharmacist-doctor kind of lines were blurred a yeah. lot more, for sure. Uh, and so they dispensed it over the counter, um, especially things like you said already, cocaine and caffeine. Um, and they said that uh, soda fountains were considered kind of almost like sketchy because they were kind of habit forming. It was like going to the tavern almost, but you were going to your pharmacist to get soda, <laughs> which is a little odd. Yeah. But uh, um, but yeah, I think that because St. Catharines had this uh, uh, industry that all surrounded wellness and um, cures and things like that, like we had the Stevenson House, we had the Welland House. I feel like I'm missing one, but Spring we Bank. had Springbank. Springbank was the one that Dr. Max started that was right. particularly meant for uh, um, health and wellness, recovery and uh, yeah. rehabilitation. And he had a massage therapy clinic and uh, Salt Spring hot spa, that all that stuff. So, so that was like a health place. No doubt they had it. soda fountains yeah. in there to help uh, provide more, just an extra bump to your. Uh, recovery. Uh, it turns out that soda water by itself doesn't really have any healing pro- properties or medicinal properties. Unfortunately. But uh, it's great to drink and so <laughs> people love it. Yep. Um, I, th- I kind of stuck with that theme a little bit um, but for the most part where I ended up was uh, taking a look at really interesting shaped soda dispensers cool. from different cocktail <laughs> cocktail uh, sets you know because nowadays you almost never see it nowadays those uh, glass bottles with the little stopper on the top that sprayed the soda into your drink whiskey and soda basically but those were everywhere just because people just use canned soda like at home people would just use like clips eventually i think that's where it came to but in the early days you couldn't get it right so this was the way that you carbonated your water so that it made your drink really cool and much better and i remember 
look watching old movies and I can't think of a single old comedy that didn't have one of those soda things in it getting sprayed at somebody. Uh, <laughs> so, so I kind of thought that was super interesting. Uh, but those cocktail sets are super collectible now. And soda in like a soda dispenser like that is becoming more popular. And if you recall, just in the last few years, those machines where you can make your own soda yeah. is super popular right now. Yeah. And they have like a canister of carbon dioxide that yeah. fits in it. And you can make your own flavored you know, you Soda. can do that with um, whipped cream as well. You can put fresh cream into this thing, and the O2 canister turns it into the whipped cream just oh, like awesome. that. And it's so good. <laughs> Soda slash pop, whatever we call it nowadays, is such a modern product. We think about it in such a modern way. It's everywhere. You know, you can't really get away from carbonated beverages. People talk about them all the time, whether good or bad. Um you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a person who hasn't had a carbonated drink of some sort in their lifetime, um, but they go back so far. So soda or carbonated drinks have been around, like this kind of carbonated drink, as opposed to like beer or sparkling wine that's kind of fermented uh, carbonation. But this kind with the carbon dioxide dissolved in the liquid has been around for, you know, 200 years, more than 200 years. And... Uh, but it's still such a modern drink. Man, the longevity on it has been really amazing, which I think somewhat goes to the advertising power of the companies that ended up really taking over the market for soda. So I thought that was really cool. And then the other thing I thought was fun about it was going down memory lane and reading about, uh, or some of the first diet soda drinks included Tab. And so I remember Tab from back in the 80s. What's Tab? It was this... Soda. You have to look it up. It, sounds... it was just so popular. It was like one of oh, those okay. things that all of a sudden, if you were po- if you were stylish, you were drinking right. a tab. Right. So, <laughs> I think it was named after the little pop tab that you use, like you pop open the uh, the can. Oh, okay. Um, because prior to that, they didn't have the kind of pop tabs we have now. You had the mm. pop thing where it had the little ring with the almost looked like a tongue, yeah. and you pulled the ring and then pulled this little tongue thing off. Uh, rather than now, we have that the pop tab, little yeah. pop tab that pushes down the yeah. the pop in the other the, way, like the yeah pop pops it yeah. downwards. Yeah. So um, anyway, it was a great walk down memory lane. Uh, reminded me of a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of the drinks I remember drinking as a kid. Didn't drink tons of pop, but uh, still, yeah, it was yeah. cool. And I think that's the uh, the basically everywhere I got from this um, from this kind of tangent off of one little soda bottle that we found in the wall of yeah. the Marantown Town Hall. Yeah. I, I also got into the the uh, seltzer bottle, like home home carbonated <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. water uh, thread, and I found I saw a picture of one that, like an early one from the 1900s, or like 1900 actually, that was two globes on top of oh, each yeah, other. Oh yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. Um, and I guess how it works is like one globe has this kind of chemical and the other has this. Oh, and like when when they react, then that car- causes the carbonate carbonation, and then it comes out the tube. And wow. but it's covered in a mesh thing so that because it said it has a tendency to explode, oh. so you gotta have it in the mesh <laughs> just in case it explodes. The glass doesn't go go anywhere because of right. course it was glass bottles. Yeah, I think we forget that to create soda water, it's actually a chemical process yeah. that is creating 
and science. It's pretty cool. Beyond me. Because it was but. scientists that were doing this to start with. Yeah. It wasn't uh, right. people that were trying to find some cool new drink for, for the rest of the world. It was scientists trying to figure out what would happen if you tried to, uh, to dissolve carbon dioxide uh, with pressure yeah. in water. Uh, so that was, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, too, uh, the market, you're right about the marketing and the, also just the uh, packaging. I think plastic bottles is a huge yeah. thing today. And um, I don't know, when did they switch to plastic bottles from glass bottles? I remember, like, glass bottles being available. Like, you could get glass bottles all the time from Coke when I was a kid. But now it's, um, like, the little ones, you know, yeah. the little glass bottles. Now it's, like, a collector thing. So it's all just... We used to have, like, two-liter glass bottles two liter glass bottles and what li- and like the one liter glass bottles that was like our way of making some money as uh, kids you could go around to all of your neighbors because they had to deposit right. on it go around to all your neighbors and collect up all their pop bottles and take them back to the store and make some money for a mixed candy or something at the <laughs> store like you get a little bag of mixed up candy uh, <laughs> at the corner store this is sad so i used to collect money <laughs> from pop bottles to go to the store to buy candy <laughs> I just transfer I one would, sugar to another. <laughs> I have another story about the, about, uh, the collecting that I used to do um, for my neighbors, um, but I won't share it on this podcast. Uh, it was uh, it will make my neighbors seem strange. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's maybe a topic for another time: is the plastic bottle or the glass bottle or something like that. tuning in to our new podcast make sure to check out the footnotes to this episode on our blog if you want to see the video that we were talking about the pictures the ads some of the cool bottles that we have in our own collection and for more if you have any ideas for what kathleen and i should research we'd love to hear them you can connect with us on facebook at facebook.com slash museum or on twitter and instagram at stc museum Tune in next time for our rabbit hole exploration of early 20th century architecture and the arts and craft movement. One Hour in the Past is produced by us, Kathleen Powell and Adrian Petrie, and brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre and the City of St. Catharines. Adrian Petrie and Kathleen Powell, and brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre and the City of St. Catharines. Who's there? It just felt weird saying your name first. <laughs> okay, do, do it, do it, you can do it again, but change, change the names. Do it, do it, because there was a... Like, it's like, uh, by us, and I am... Like, I feel like I you am... shouldn't have been saying your name. <laughs>
My name is Adrian. We've been working together for six years. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, you I thought one. you were going to say your name. I think that's why oh. I thought you were actually going to say it. Then I'm like, it feels weird saying Adrian's name. Okay, uh. sorry. You put your name first. Uh. You think we had some soda water or something? We're feeling quite energized, aren't we? I haven't had any pop today. <laughs> oh, maybe that's the answer. Oh, no, that's totally not true. Nope. I did have one earlier. Never mind, I lied. Nope. Thank you.